0: Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Hello, you're watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, you're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network available on all podcast platforms. So very cool. Yes, The Hash. For your ears, for your eyes, and for your heart. Anyways, it's Thursday before a long weekend. We have a lot of fun stories to talk about today. Zach, I think you got the first one. Take it away.
0: Hey, let's talk about Elon Musk. Today day ending in Y, we're going to talk about Elon. The Twitter saga of Elon continues. He put in a bid, according to SEC documentation, to buy the whole thing for $41.3 billion and take the company private. And what he says is a needed move to make improvements to the product and to protect free speech. Now, this comes after an investment, I think it was last week. A brief dalliance was serving on the Twitter board of directors, that being canceled. And now this, an offer to buy the whole thing outright. There's been a buzz on Twitter about this. Lots to dig into here. I have to throw it to David because I'm excited to hear what he's going to say. David, go.
3: I'm going to say something fairly boring, actually. Just that the discourse around this has really focused on the idea that this is a guy who, you know, in theory, I, we'll, we'll talk about how seriously we should take this offer. But in theory, he's an individual who has the ability to buy this platform that a lot of people use that acts as a sort of public square, an agora, a, a way for people to discuss things that are important. People have referred to it as a public utility. I think this purchase offer, above all, highlights that. When you have something like this that is a platform that runs on a set of servers owned by a single company, somebody can just come along and buy it and change it at will. And if they're the richest or second richest guy in the world, they can do that multiple times and to all kinds of different things that are essential public services. And it is extremely ironic and troubling that I don't know a lot of the details, but it seems like Jack Dorsey is actually... Uh, Lining up behind Elon on this offer after Dorsey had said that he was going to pursue decentralizing Twitter, uh, which would make something like this less possible. I'm a little confused on that point, so maybe somebody can help me out. But yeah, this is really about who has power, who has control, and how we should build systems so that that power and control can maintain in the hands of the right people.
1: I want to go back one day when we're talking about this, and Zach said there wasn't going to be any more interesting developments. And it looks like. You were pretty wrong. This got way more interesting really fast. My venue, Jen. Someone said something stupid about on this show. And I was like, you're wrong. It's going to get way more interesting. (laughs) And it got way more interesting really fast. This is a holdup in San Francisco right now. He literally just put a smoking gun to him and said, like, you either let me buy your company or I'm going to dump 10% of your stock on the open market. And I don't care what happens. Literally says Mm. that in the letter there, That this is his first and final offer or he will consider selling off his 9.5% stake in Twitter right now. That's a lot of money on the table. And if he does start offloading that stock, that could really hurt Twitter going forward. And even if he, like, he steps away from this entirely, that could really hurt Twitter going forward. Like I don't think Twitter is going to die. It's not going away. Elon leaving the platform or dumping a stock isn't going to kill it. But that would really hurt a lot of people who have a lot of money in Twitter who are holding Twitter. Like, This is a big stock. This is a big tech stock. And him holding that much and threatening to dump it like a crypto coin out there, that's that's pretty rough for the company itself. Jen, I want to get your thoughts on this topic, though.
2: Yeah, when I was reading the story, I remembered Zach saying he couldn't wait to see what happens next in the saga. And I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not over yet. And here we go. And this was just It was like shocking and surprising and not shocking and surprising all at the same time. I read that same uh, quote from the filing will and I thought, is that a threat? And there were just like so many nuggets in the story that make it funny. Like Justin Sun is saying that, you know, he'll come in and outbid Elon, which I thought was hilarious because he's consistently losing very public bids like this for really random stuff. What I thought about though is, if Elon were to take Twitter over and really make this platform something open and something that supports free speech, what would that look like, right? Would it be a DAO? Would it remain a private company? How how would we function on a platform like that? Because I know often on the show, we talk about things like hate speech and hate crime and child pornography and intimate images that are not yours to publish. And, you know, platforms like Twitter have set up models that prevent people from doing those things. And I think when people can hide behind computer screens, the laws that rule our physical world don't seem to transfer to the digital world. And so I just wonder Mm -hmm. how Elon would actually bring this vision to life. And I would love to ask him, but I don't think he would answer me.
3: Just to kind of put a nail in that, right? Like this is definitely one of the big topics that Elon is agitating about is opening up Twitter, turning it into Gab or whatever. And From a business perspective, we know that that's a looming disaster, right? These platforms like Gab and things like that always struggle. They just like say we're going to do no moderation. Then people actually do stuff that they can get away with on an unmoderated platform. Everybody panics. And it's just a downward spiral every single time, mostly because it's done in unsophisticated ways. So like that's one issue. I also do want to highlight that I'm being a little bit glib, but I think we should take Justin Sun's and Elon Musk's offers. (laughs) with comparable amounts of seriousness, because let's really remember, back in whatever it was, 2017, 2018, Elon Musk tweeted that he was going to take Tesla private at $420 a share. The SEC went after him for that. He has since been in other scuffles with the SEC about just making off-the-cuff random statements about financial moves on Twitter. This filing looks more serious. However, if you look at the Twitter chart, I mean, he's still up right now, like 20% from when he bought his position. So, I mean, come at me, Elon, but this could absolutely be a pump and dump where he's just like pretending he's going to do something and then he's just going to dump his stake. And I mean, the point about people who hold Twitter right now being at risk seriously, but they're also still up. Let's be clear. Like, it's just like when Tesla bought Bitcoin, that was good for Bitcoin. And then when Elon backed out of the whole idea, it didn't do quite as much harm as it had done good in terms of awareness and adoption in the first place. So those people... They might be in trouble, but it's the users who, if Elon actually made this move, would really take a hit.
0: Zach, I think it's just like, also, I think you're right to be like, all right, let's take this with, let's, let's take a breath here. Let's, let's, this is not a done deal. There's this may or may not happen. This is like the attention economy on steroids and no one is a better ringmaster of the attention economy than Elon Musk. This is a masterful troll stroke. This whole thing has been just an epic troll saga. I'm going to say both ways. This could be the final chapter. This could be the beginning of a new era in this whole saga. I'm covered both ways, Will. Now now I'm covered both ways. But really, I do expect to maximize this. He's going to maximize this for as much attention as possible. He is that guy, and he is enjoying it very much, I am sure. All right. We are going to stay in the realm of Twitter, but we're going to talk about something else. Jen, what's up? Okay,
2: so remember when an NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet was purchased for $2.9 million? And all of us on the show were like, but why? Well, that NFT went on sale for $48 million. And guess how much the top bid was? It's there, so you don't have to guess. It's on the screen. But if you're listening on the podcast, you can guess the top bid was $280. So, Crypto entrepreneur Sina Estavi listed the NFT last week, and he said 50% of proceeds would go to charity. He made this big splash. And on Wednesday, he said the deadline I set was over, but if I get a good offer, I might accept it. I might never sell it. So kind of a big womp, womp. There's more of a history to this entrepreneur who owns this NFT, but we can get into that in a little bit. Entrepreneur. yeah. 100%. For the people who are listening, Will did air quotes there. Will, I'm going to toss it off to you first. I just know you laughed when you read this headline.
1: Yeah, no, I thought when I was first digging into this article, it was going to be about NFTs, talking about Jack Dorsey. And all of a sudden, I was moved to Iran and there was some guy selling me a token on Tron. And then a bunch of people were out a lot of money and they're all on a Telegram channel grumbling uh, to each other. And it's a story as time as old as Bitcoin itself. But this story is really not as old as the NFT thing. I thought that was like the punchline here, but it's really not. This is like another guy you like flip mm-hmm. over under the stone and there's just like a bunch of worms under it. This man has just mm-hmm. gone and like scammed a lot of people and now he's trying to get his money back. And he's trying to scam more people with this NFT that is totally worthless, like 280 bucks. He's listing it right now in OpenSea for like, what was it, 30 times more or 15 times more than he bought it for? He bought it for a lot of money. And you have to wonder, where did that money come from? And the question is basically found in his document where he sold a bunch of tokens that were worthless on Tron. And a lot of people are grumbling. The token went to zero. Now he's also empty without a bag because he took his money that he made from these now worthless tokens and he put it into a now worthless NFT. So I guess the story here is there is a little justice in the universe, at least for these ICO scammers.
3: I'm really curious about this because I have a healthy amount of skepticism towards NFTs as a short-term market play. I think that this number go up stuff is out of control, right? Like people aren't going to continue making 200% returns in two months or whatever. And this guy obviously has not caught up to that reality. However, I do wonder about the $280 max bid. I mean, it really does seem, and it was on OpenSea, that's either we're really entering a tough, tough market stretch, and that's maybe a signal, um, or there was something else going on because, uh, I mean, 280 seems too low even for something that clearly is not worth as much as he paid for it the first time around. But I do wonder about that. The other thing, just sort of as general commentary, is assuming that we eliminate some weirdness around the actual auction, this does say some interesting things about like NFTs and what's valuable and what's not. So this is sort of, you might say, a historical document NFT, I think would be one way to put it. And and you can compare that to, you know, a profile pic like a board ape, which actually also has some other stuff going on. If we take this as a signal, those are holding up better for the time being. Or like fine art NFTs are another category. So this is something where you can look at not just NFTs, but what different types of NFTs there are and how they perform. Jen, go for it.
2: Yeah, before I I kick it over to Zach, I just want to add a little bit to what Will was saying. So the two companies that this entrepreneur had folded when he was arrested in Iran, he was in prison for nine months. He came out and then he launched a new token and was asking people who owned this old token that is now essentially worthless to trade them in for the new one. And the way in which he went about it was just so sad to see. I mean, we talk so much on the show about scams and what to look out for. And I'm just going to, so he wants the original investors to send him their phone number and some TRX to verify their holdings. Then he's going to send them their new tokens in a month or two, along with the original tokens that were sent for verification. This is just the quintessential way to scam people out of money. Send me money, send me tokens, and I'm just going to hold on (laughs) to them and I'll send you more back plus plus more like why if it sounds too good to be true it often is and i just thought wow scammers
3: my left eyebrow is about five inches above my my right <laughs> eyebrow, eyebrow so. true
0: i can't confirm zach you. passed out yeah. he's so upset i am lying in, on the floor in a pool of blood uh podcast listeners just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> no this story like took off everybody was like all about this story yesterday there was a lot of sort of NFT schadenfreude out there that confirmed a lot of people's priors about the NFT bubble and all that stuff. And I think there was also some misunderstanding as to Jack Dorsey's involvement in this thing, right? This is a platform where anyone can mint anyone else's tweets as NFTs. I think it's called Scent. And it's not as though Jack Dorsey minted this thing, sold it for however many it sold for, you know, like, I don't know, last December or whatever, and then tried to put it up again. It just so happens that it is a historical document that involves Jack Dorsey. But Jack Dorsey is not like taking action in this story. So I think some people in the Twitter chatter out in the mainstream may have misinterpreted the role of the the Twitter founder and former CEO. He's not the guy involved here. But this is a really, I think it's just an interesting story unique to this weird, really messed up situation. I don't know what the broader point is about the NFT market as a whole. I think yeah. David is right that there are types of NFTs that this may be a signal to around, but this feels like its own little unique universe of crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's a remarkable story. Check out the full piece if you haven't. If you've just seen the short piece, do yourself a favor and click the read more and go read Sondley's reporting on this yeah, one. Yeah, props really well
3: to for some great work.
0: So Amazon's not taking crypto anytime
1: soon. Shocker. It's according to Andy Jassy, who is the CEO who came into office right after Jeff Bezos left last year. Uh, in an annual shareholder letter he sent out recently, he said, no, crypto's not happening anytime soon, but NFTs might be on the docket. Zach, I want to throw this one down to you. Was this surprising or shocking to you to see NFTs as a possible addition to Amazon, or is that the next logical step for this ginormous company?
0: I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Everyone's doing <laughs> NFTs. It's the year of NFTs. <laughs> eBay does <disc laughs> NFTs. It makes a ton of sense that Amazon would also consider launching its own NFT platform, right? Everybody has an NFT platform. There's white label services where any brand can launch an NFT platform in fashion and art and whatever, what have you, that Amazon would be toying with this is not especially surprising to me. But there had been rumors that Amazon was getting a bit more serious about accepting crypto payments. So the splash of cold water on those rumors I think is good. There was a little bit of hysteria Mm -hmm. around this, I think a few months ago, some rumors that were out there. July. Yeah, that may have caused some (laughs) irrational excitement. So the fact that that one is quashed for now, at least, is good to hear. But the NFT angle, I think, is not entirely surprising for the world's largest e-commerce retailer. David, I'm gonna throw it to you.
3: Yeah, so I thought I'd just throw out some background here on, I guess, sort of the history of payments and crypto and big retailers like Amazon. You know, Overstock.com was sort of famously the first big retailer to accept crypto, or at least very close to the beginning. And there have been, I guess, crests and falls in enthusiasm for doing various kinds of crypto payments at corporate big time places. One of the main issues over the years has been that the fee structure is so unpredictable, especially for something like Bitcoin, that it becomes a problem when, you know, if somebody accepts crypto payments at a time when fees are very low. That's one model. And then six months later, these can be far higher. And you know, we saw something related when Tesla started accepting payments very briefly. And then I think it was mostly about the environmental issues, but people will come and go on all of this stuff. And I think that for many of us who have been around for a while, this idea that somebody would accept payments in a certain coin was like a big bullish signal. And I just don't know if that's still as significant as it used to be. Obviously, for sort of Headline interest, there's something there. You know, we're working on Payment Suite. We have Payment Suite coming up here. And I think there's a really big debate over whether payments for most real cryptocurrencies remains a viable path at all. And so there's some real interesting infrastructural questions behind this. It's not just whether Amazon likes crypto or not. I saw Jen's hand, and then you uh, and Zach can fight for it.
2: Yeah, well, I'm just taking it. I'm not even fighting, I'm just taking it. David, to your point, I think when a business decides to accept crypto as a payment, there's that splashy headline. But the splashier headline is when people are actually paying with crypto on that platform. I've said this on the show before, and I'm going to just say it again for any new listeners. I was doing a pre-interview with a public relations agency for a big brand that we have spoken about on this show several times, and they accept crypto as payments. And I asked them, well, how many people have used crypto? in the last like X amount of months. I think I said in the last three months. And they're like, well, we don't want to talk about that because it's actually just been one person. We've only actually accepted one transaction. (laughs) And so I think the story is not how many businesses are accepting crypto, but how many people actually want to pay with crypto and who are holding crypto and spending crypto, right? And so I think that's when the light bulbs will go off, I think. Was this Tesla? I do want... No, it wasn't Tesla. No.
0: Name it. (laughs) Name it.
2: No, no, I'm not going to do it. it. I'm not going to do it.
0: Oh. But the NFT, uh.
2: the NFT play, I think the fact that they're waiting to launch their NFT feature means that they're probably just watching Shopify, seeing how it works for them, and they're going to build something, something similar. But Zach, I'm sure you have something smarter to say.
0: I'm trying to think of the word. It's hyper Bitcoinization, right? What about hyper stable coinization? for payments in the crypto realm. You said that these are not real cryptos, and I get your point, David, but they exist on these blockchain payment rails. And I think we've been seeing, again, some interesting stories around stablecoins as a means of payment, right? It doesn't seem like there's much appetite in the market. It seems like most people view their crypto as an asset rather than as something that they should be spending. But on the stablecoin side, I think there's really been a lot of promising developments for big, big players and small rolling stablecoins into their product suites. Historically, you know, everyone here is well aware stablecoins are used to just sort of get between crypto positions within the crypto universe. But I think whether it's with Circle, whether it's with Tether, whether it's whatever, we're seeing some experiments where stablecoins are slowly creeping out into the real world, into various applications and into various big name brands. And I think when that hyper stable coinization thing rolls out, Ooh. then the conversation about crypto payments becomes much more interesting. But right now, the crypto as an asset conversation has just like put the pillow on the head of crypto <laughs> as a means of payment <laughs> and just smothered it to death in the hospital bed. Because I don't think people are out here spending uh, their crypto. Someone it's just please too volatile. Make they see mean. it as something that is that going, beautiful. do not make that mean. Please do not make that. Make <laughs> right. the meme and Thank it's you. Zach with the pillow. Zach is a (laughs) merchant. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. No, anyway, I don't know. I just think that at some point that conversation is going to pick up some serious steam because we've really seen the conversation around using, you know, quote unquote, real cryptos for payments kind of die off. So I'm really interested actually Mm -hmm. to see the, uh, the payments week coverage around that topic. David, I'm going to kick it to you for the next topic.
3: There's actually a bit of a transition here because this story I think is the contemporary real equivalent of the kind of buzz or bump that we used to look for in retail payment stories. This is Rareable is integrating Solana NFTs, and there's a lot to talk about here. But, you know, this, is, this gives Solana that extra little bit of integration and access that actually has the kind of network effects that people are maybe used to thinking about with retail payments, right? Like it makes it more appealing at a system level. On the other hand, and we can talk about this a little bit, but what this points out that I think a lot of people don't get is that NFTs do exist on specific blockchains. It's actually quite ironic because we talk about platform risk in crypto all the time, but NFTs face incredible platform risk. If you're buying an NFT on some relatively undermined or under-supported chain, that actually has more sort of headwinds than than other NFTs. There's also more stuff going on. Rarible has an interesting model that's a little bit different than OpenSea. But Solana is the second biggest NFT program, whatever. So this helps them climb further. Zach, take it away.
0: Oh, yeah. OpenSea is huge. OpenSea is a big deal uh, in Web3. And I was kind of expecting their addition of Solana NFTs to do a bit more for the market. It's been about a week, maybe eight or nine days since they rolled out uh, Solana NFTs in beta, which is what they're now saying. But I was looking at like a Dune Analytics dashboard, which is like a data scraping site. And the vast majority of Solana NFTs are transacting on Magic Eden still. The OpenSea (laughs) Solana NFT trading volume is like remarkably small for such a big NFT marketplace. So I don't know what's going on there, but it is interesting to see these marketplaces jostle for a piece of the action, right? You had OpenSea adding Solana. Now you have Rarible in the process of adding uh, Solana NFTs to its forward-facing protocol. So it's interesting to see people rush in these these services rush in and try to offer a trading venue for some of these NFTs. We saw FTX US do Solana NFTs a while ago, and reportedly that didn't go especially well. So it's interesting to see that there is momentum at least gathering around you know quote unquote the open sea of Solana, which at this point appears to be magic Eden. But again, I think the intruders are at the gates. They're looking to chip into that market share that mm. Magic Eden commands pretty handsomely at the moment, and. Whether that's rareable or probably the safer bet would be OpenSea, time will tell. But right now, OpenSea adding Solana hasn't done a ton for Solana NFT volume on that platform. So interesting to see how that's going to shake out in the long run. But I'll toss it down to Will.
1: Yeah, my only thoughts on this is how will this look like in the future? Is the NFT market going to look a lot like mm-hmm. the L1 battles back in like 2017, 2018? Will it look a lot like the DeFi app? Battle in 2020, where everyone's trying to get liquidity to their markets, or will it look more like the roll-up battle we're kind of seeing right now, where like optimism or Celestia, some of these like other like roll-up ideas are battling it out. Some of them haven't even launched yet. But these NFT platforms are also they're battling for liquidity, they're battling for users, and battling for volumes, whether that be cross-chain or just on one chain. And I think you're going to see a lot of stuff that has happened in priors. Uh, you're going to see probably a few winners, your Ethereums and Bitcoins of the world, but for the NFT space. And from there, everyone else sort of dries up and dies out. I'm going to give out to Zach, get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to you know, pull a fresh number from this dashboard. So today's Solana NFT transactions on Magic Eden are 194,000. Mm-hmm. Over on OpenSea, eight days into this thing, about 1,200, less than that. So it's still mm-hmm. pretty crazy Total that a daily. big... Uh, daily, that's a one day. That's a okay. one day volume according that's to the so data pulled through Dune Analytics. So interesting to see if uh, OpenSea can ship into it, if also Rarible can ship into it. But again, a lot of that activity seems to be concentrated on that particular marketplace, Magic Eden, right now.
3: Yeah. Well, you mentioned liquidity. Uh, I don't know if I quite get that. Why do NFT marketplaces need liquidity? I think they do
1: need liquidity in some sense. In that, at some point, you need to have a buyer, and obviously, like the trades and the swaps between the two assets or the, between the buyer and the purchaser or whatnot are not as often like you might see only one bid per day or one ask per day but that money needs to mm. be there at some point to swap hands so it's not the same sort of market as we see with like tokens but at right. the end of the day like you need to have some sort of liquidity mm-hmm. you need to have some sort of buyer there like the liquidity of these markets as i understand it is very different and that's why they price it with like the floor so that was yeah. just the point yeah. that i was going
3: to make I, I i thought that that was what the, the state of the so in terms of competitive dynamics, just to make kind of a, an obvious but important point about the difference between a platform like OpenSea and if you're trying to build like a, a sushi swap or whatever, if you're trying to get people in with liquidity that they're going to stake in a pool that you need permanently, basically subsidize your interest rates for a pretty limited amount of time. And it's just kind of like a musical chair situation. Frankly, it's emerging more obviously. Whereas I think that like OpenSea are Rarible, you know, there are platforms that have like a A single service that they offer, I don't think it's going to be as volatile, I would say, in terms of the competitive dynamics. Like these are, they're building an audience that's going to remain over time that's not just there for an extra 30% APR or something like that. So just a little note. All right.
0: Wrapping up, Zach. NFT yield farming. One day. One day we'll get there. Mm-hmm. It's probably yeah. out there already. I don't even know about it. About three All months right. from now, I great. think, is the answer to that. <laughs> cool. We'll put some NFTs in and we'll get um, governance NFTs in response at a high APY. What do you think? I'll do it. Just right, I do it. it all right we're gonna go make that and we're gonna wrap the show here for thursday we are not here tomorrow we're gonna enjoy a long weekend here on the hash and we will be back on monday hopefully you all are having a nice weekend and if you haven't checked out our podcast yet go check it out coindesk podcast network the hash for your ears listen wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts that's all i got all right i'm zach seward we have will foxley we have david moores we have jen So, Nassie, we are The Hash. We will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.